0: The book of Revelation causes all sorts of different emotions to people when you speak of it. Uh, It is fascinating to listen to what people say when you speak of uh, looking at the book of Revelation, how many either go, well, we can't understand that book, and how many say, I'm afraid of that book, there's some scary things in there. Uh, the, the wide range of how people feel about the book is certainly interesting. Uh, I'm looking forward to doing uh, the best of my ability to make the book uh, as clear and as simple as possible. Uh, I'm looking forward to trying to just go through the book methodically and slowly and just show, look at the various symbols and images and the things that we read. And hopefully that by the end of it, we will have a clear understanding of the book and that we will be able to um, erase a lot of those fears and concerns that we may have. I really believe uh, we have more misconceptions about the book. Uh, then we have proper understanding of the book. So much has been done concerning Revelation. So many movies and TV shows based upon images out of Revelation. Scary things that have been used about what's going to happen in the future from apocalyptic images and four horsemen of the apocalypse and 666 and all the various things that are used from the book. Uh, I really do hope that what we will be able to accomplish is to give you some some security, and some good grounding as to the book of Revelation. It is my intention tonight just to start with the first three verses. I do want to just give a quick introduction. I spent last Wednesday night doing a much fuller uh Point of introduction, and I was out of uh, papers that I'd handed out from Wednesday night, uh, and so I have made some more copies, and they're on the table here. It's three pages, uh, just introducing the book and talking about some of the key dates. So just to give a quick then summary, if you weren't here for that, and if you were not here Wednesday night, I would strongly advise you to take the papers uh, because I'm not going to rehearse those things. But there are essentially two different datings that are given to the book and great debate surrounds when the book of Revelation was written you'll sometimes hear language called the early date and the early date simply then is referring to the book of Revelation being written sometime in the range of 65 to 69 AD Uh, the other uh, group of scholars say a late date for the writing of the book somewhere in the ballpark of 96 AD and what I wanted to Leave you with is that the debate continues to go on as to when was the book written. And quite simply, we don't know. We really don't know when the book was written. The majority of scholars in the 19th century held an early date. The majority of scholars in the 20th century hold a late date. Uh, If we live long enough to the end of this century, and that won't be many of us, but (laughs) whoever makes it to the end of the 21st century will find out Well, what's the majority of scholars now? Which way did the pendulum swing at this point? So what I intend to do with our study is just simply to allow the book to date itself. What we will do is we will not be beholden to any particular point of view. We will not grasp one particular date at this time. And what we will just simply do is we'll read through the book, and as the images make the most sense, that's the interpretation that we will apply to it. we will not care if that sets us at a late date or early date what rain that puts it in, or anything like that. Let's just go through the book of Revelation and let's apply the simplest, most straightforward answer to what we read in the book. And so that's really going to be the plan. I'm not going to try to defend any particular position. I'm not going to try to make sure I'm in line with any particular scholar. I might end up being on an island to myself, and I don't care. I'm just going to do what the book makes most sense, and I'm going to go that direction. Let the images speak let the images interpret themselves. Let the scriptures interpret the images. That's what we're going to do. All right? That's the quick answer of 50 minutes of what's on that paper. So I would certainly encourage you to look at the paper, and I'm going to post that online as we go through our study as well. Open your Bibles to Revelation, and we'll look at the first three verses Revelation chapter 1, verse 1. As I mentioned this morning, these three verses are the really most important verses of the book. They set the stage of what's about to transpire, and what it does is it gives us an interpretive grid as to what we are supposed to understand and how we are supposed to read the message that is in this book. The first thing that we begin with is the word revelation. You'll often hear language used, it's about the apocalypse. Well, that's just a transliteration of the word revelation. You see the Greek word up there on the screen? That's what this is about is apocalypsis. But the word simply means to expose in full what was formerly hidden, veiled, or secret. Now when we use apocalypse in our language, that usually means something like the earth is going to explode, uh, everything's going to melt, and you know things like that, a cataclysmic kind of event. And that's not the way the word was used in the Scriptures. And so when we read about the apocalypse, we should not then be thinking about it's the end of the world as we know it. That's not what that word means. What this is beginning by saying is that revelation, is the exposing in full view things that were previously hidden or secret or veiled. And so what I want to begin with as our first interpretive grid that we're going to lay on this book is that the book of Revelation is not in code. It is not in code. It is not hidden language because that would be against the very meaning of what this first word is saying. This is the unveiling. This is the revealing. This is making clear something that was concealed in the past. If revelation is code, then it's quite the opposite. We shouldn't be calling it the unveiling. We should be calling it the veiling, the concealing, and we don't know what the book is. But... But what John begins with is that this is something that is revealing, not concealing. This is something that is going to make it clear. And that's what is somewhat fascinating and um, why I use this title of this series, somewhat tongue-in-cheek the book of Revelation made clear. That's actually being a bit redundant because Revelation means it's revealed, it's clear. In fact, that's funny, some of the books that are out there, one's called Revelation Unveiled. Well, that's saying the same word twice. Now, that's what it means. It's unveiled. It is no longer concealed. And so what I think we can likely assume, and we'll look at this verse in in Daniel 12 in just a moment, is that what Revelation is doing is revealing and unveiling prophecies in the Old Testament that were hidden and concealed. There are prophecies that the Old Testament contains that the prophets themselves did not comprehend their meaning. And now this book is being written to give clarity to those prophecies. Things that were concealed in the past by God are now being unveiled. Things that were secret and hidden by God are now being fully exposed and unveiled to all of its readers. And that is how we should then begin our approach into Revelation is that this is going to make things clear. Now if you've ever read Revelation, you're probably shaking your head and your mind going, You're telling me that's clear? (laughs) You're telling me that is the unveiling? That's as clear as mud, right? It's some very difficult images. But why those images exist is not necessarily to make it hard on us, but to find that image back in the Old Testament and understand that the book of Revelation is now clarifying and explaining that image or symbol that was previously Concealed or secret in its original context, and that's what we spend a lot of time in Revelation doing—is going back to the Old Testament. But our interpretive grid of that is very important. In that, we should not go back to the Old Testament and think that the Old Testament is going to make clear Revelation. Don't forget the direction. Revelation is making clear the things in the Old Testament those things were concealed and uncertain and now Revelation is clarifying. So we will go back to the Old Testament and we will find the image and we will find what was concealed and then we will look to Revelation to tell us What is the answer to that image? What is being told to us now? How is God unveiling what was previously stated there in the past as a prophecy that was concealed and not understood, and now Revelation is unfolding and revealing and making clear? And so that's how we're going to go about studying this book. Well, the scholars recognize, so you pick up any book, every scholar recognizes that, Revelate, the book of Revelation borrows heavily from the Old Testament. It is funny that the book of Revelation does not quote the Old Testament once, but it refers to the Old Testament. Constantly, The images that are in Revelation are not unique. And that's probably one of the reasons we have such a difficulty with the book of Revelation is that if we are not well versed in the Old Testament, we will stumble and crash as we go through the book of Revelation because we are seeing these images for the first time, even though it's not the first time they've appeared in the Scriptures. And so it is demanded on our part when we come across an image to go refer to it back in the Old Testament. And so what I'm doing in our study as we go through Revelation is different from when I have done this study before. Before, we studied Daniel... And we went all the way through, and then we studied Zechariah all the way through, and then we came to the book of Revelation, and I was uh, expecting you to remember all the things that we had studied a year previously in Daniel and Zechariah. That's probably not the best way to do it, and so I am repenting and set cloth and ashes, and I'm going to go a different direction with it this time, and so we're going to go straight through Revelation, but as we encounter an image, we're going to stop in Revelation, put a pin right there, go back. Back to the Old Testament and study that image in the Old Testament context, look at the prophecy, figure out what's going on as best as we can at that moment in that prophecy, then come back to Revelation and go, okay, so now what is being unveiled? What is being revealed to us as the book of Revelation tells us how this image is being used? So we're going to go about it in that sense. And so that's what we're going to work on. And so that's, that's our whole preface and whole main thing. One other thing before we look at Daniel chapter 12 is I will establish my pet, my pet peeve to you is that you read that word and read the title of your Bible over and over and over again. It's the revelation, not revelations. If you stick an S on it, I will have to take you outside and hurt you. It is (laughs) just a pet peeve of mine. It is revelation, not revelations. This is the unveiling. This is it. It is just the final statement by God in dealing with the things that were concealed in the past. This is the one great opening and unveiling and revealing of the things that were hidden in the past. Let me show you Daniel chapter 12. And we're going to just look at it quickly. We'll spend much more time in Daniel 12 later on as we go through our study. But I want you to see one of our points of contact as why this book would be called Revelation Unveiling the Revealing. Uh, Daniel 12, verse 6. It's the very end of the prophecy. And one said to the man dressed in linen who was above the waters of the river, How long will it be until the end of these wonders? And talking about all the signs and uh, prophecies that are given in the book. Verse seven, I heard the man dressed in linen who was above the waters of the rivers, he raised his right hand and his left toward heaven, and swore by him who lives forever that he would that it would be for a time times and half a time. And as soon as they were they finished shattering the power of the holy people all these events would be completed let me stop there for a minute if you've ever read Revelation that sounds a lot like that book doesn't it (laughs) there are points of contact that are there in Revelation that oh some of those images already I can see them back here in Daniel we'll spend quite a bit of time in Daniel verse 8 as for me here's Daniel saying this I heard but could not understand here is the statement made by these angelic beings back and forth of how long is it going to be till these things are all done well Uh, Here's how it's going to go. He raises his hand and swears that it's going to be a time, times, and half a time. And Daniel's sitting there going, "I have no idea what that means. I have no clue what he's talking about here. This is going to be a time, times, and half a time. The shouting of the holy people. And so Daniel, you can kind of visualize Daniel raising his hand, going, "Uh, "What's that mean? And the answer here, "My, "My Lord, what is the outcome of these events? Verse nine, he said, "Go your way, Daniel, for these words are concealed and sealed up till the time of the end. The book of Revelation is now going to reveal that which had been concealed to Daniel. As Daniel is told, I'm not going to tell you these things. You just go on your merry way. You just kind of, my, my picture, don't, don't worry your head about that in the slightest for later on, It'll be a time, time, and half a time until the time of the end. And in the time of the end, there will be an explanation about these things. But right now it's concealed and sealed up we get to the book of Revelation, here's the beginning. Here says the revealing, no longer concealed. This speaks of it being sealed up. We'll get to Revelation 4, and we'll see the scroll that is sealed up that now begins to be opened. And we're here having a reference point to the book of Daniel. So that's how the book begins with the revelation of Jesus Christ. There are two ways to understand this phrase, the revelation of Jesus Christ. Does it mean that this is a book about Jesus, or is this a book from Jesus? When you speak of something being of a person, it can mean one of two things: either it was given by the person, or it is about the person. Fascinating to me that most of the books that I pick up say this is the revelation about Jesus, and I say I can't figure how you how you see that because of the way of the sentence of verse one. Look what it says: the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him, him who Jesus which God gave him to show his servants the things that must soon take place. It makes far more sense for this to say the revelation from Jesus which God gave Jesus to show His servants. That makes far more sense than this to say the revelation about Jesus which God gave Jesus to show. If it's a revelation about Him, I don't know that God had to give it to Him. That doesn't make an awful lot of sense. What makes more sense is this originated from God the Father. It is given to Jesus Christ. He is giving it to His servants, the things that must shortly take place. It's going to be given to His angels who are going to put it into signs and symbols as we'll read in just a moment. And that makes the most sense to me. He gave it to Jesus, not about him, but this is the method in which this is being transmitted. And the end of the book says the same thing. Revelation 22 and verse 16. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about the things for the churches. And so what you have is a picture of transmission. God the Father gives it to Jesus. Jesus gives it to the angel who put it into signs, and the angels then give it to John, and John writes those things down. When we get to Revelation 4, we're going to see that very thing. is the one before the throne is holding the scroll, who's able to grab the scroll? Nobody except the Lamb. The Lamb grabs the scroll. He opens the scroll, and thus all the information that is given to us about the things going on. And that's why even the couple of translations, the TNIV and the New Living Translation, actually read the Revelation from Jesus Christ. Christ, because that makes the most sense. This is coming from him. Now, there are certainly some images, like in chapter 1, that are going to describe Jesus, but that's not the point. The point of this book is not to say, let me tell you about Jesus. That's not really the thrust of this book in the slightest. The thrust of this book is to unveil the things that were previously concealed and hidden. This is now going to unfold for us the things that were hidden in the past. Verse 1 and verse 3 contain very important time markers. And this will be our second interpretive grid that we need to lay upon this book as we go through it. In verse 1 we are told that this revelation is to show His servants the things that must soon take place. And if that was not enough, verse 3, "...for the time is near." These are two very important statements. And where I would like for you to begin in your mind is just to answer the question. If I were to tell you that something was going to happen soon, how much time would have to go by before you would say, "...that's not soon?" How many years or months or days in your mind if I were to tell you that something is going to happen soon, would it take for you to go, you know what, that wasn't soon at all. That was quite a long time. And that's what I want you to think about. Would 2,000 years still be soon? If I were to say something's going to happen to you really soon, and what I mean by that is somewhere in the year 4,000, is that soon? Even if I were to tell you that something is going to happen in the year 2,300, is that soon? Or even 2,110, is that soon to you? I want you to understand that this time marker is really important. It constrains the book quite a bit. Because not only here at the beginning, but also at the end of the book, the statement is made again that the time is near. And these things must soon take place. And so this gives all sorts of problems to the various interpretations that are out there in regards to Revelation. We'll examine that in just a moment. Uh, Beale in his commentary, the New International Greek Testament Commentary on Revelation, makes a very astute statement when he says, Therefore, John's book is a prophetic work which concerns the imminent and inaugurated fulfillment of Old Testament prophecies about the kingdom in Jesus Christ. And I would underline, imminent. That's exactly right. It has to be right away. It has to be soon. It can't be something long down the road, thousands and thousands of years later, that will not work into the definition of soon or the time is near. And so I go to the authors who believe that chapters 4 through 22 are out still to be fulfilled thousands and thousands of years after the book of Revelation was written, and I quiz and go, well, what do you say about these time markers? One of the most popular authors in our present day and age is Tim LaHaye. Uh, you may not recognize the name, but you may have read his books from the Left Behind series. Uh, he's a very much prominent biblical scholar and teacher for pro- prophecies and the book of Revelation. And so I have his commentary on Revelation called Revelation Unveiled. And he makes absolutely no mention or comment to these time markers. I find that convenient. How convenient to have a challenge like this of, well, the time is near. Things must soon take place. Well, what do you say about that if your interpretation of Revelation is that chapters 4 through 22 have yet to occur? He has no statement. Typically, the answer is this, as Thomas gives in the Wycliffe exegetical commentary on page 56, he says that God is not limited by the considerations of time in the same way man is. Typically, this is the answer, is that, well, we know with God that day is a thousand years, a thousand years is a day, and so God's not bound by time, so what may seem soon to God could be millennium to human beings. And I will certainly admit that that's true. God is certainly not bound by time. However, the book of Revelation is to be a revealing. It is to be the unfolding and explanation of things, not a concealing or making things more difficult. The book of Revelation is not intended to make it hard for its audience by giving something twisted and saying, well, I'm going to tell them it's it's really soon, but... Those humans have no idea that what I mean is thousands and thousands of years. That doesn't make any sense. This is God saying, I'm going to make it clear to my people what the meaning of those concealed things are. And that has to weigh upon us. And I think I would add on top of that, that actually God is bound by our time. When He speaks to humans and gives a time frame. We cannot make loopholes out of this and go, well, you know, God's not bound by time. You're right. As an entity, as a person, He is not bound by time. But when He tells human beings seven days, does He mean seven days? Because if He doesn't, then He isn't helping us any. (laughs) then He's absolutely fooling us. He's lying to us. What we are saying is that God, the Creator, doesn't know how to communicate with humans, the created. He knows what how to say a long time if He wants to say a long time. I hope. If He doesn't, then this is not a God I want to serve. If God doesn't know how to speak to humans and tell them what He means in terms of time, then we've got a problem with God. Because He's not a very smart God. And so when God, not being bound by time, tells humans it's going to be soon, then He is bound by that statement that it must be soon. And when He tells humans the time is near, then He's bound by that statement that the time is near to our frame of mind. Just as much as seven days means seven days and any other time markers that God would give to us. So... I think Beale is absolutely correct when he states in the phrase, the things that must soon take place, he writes, this connotes neither the speedy manner in which the Daniel prophecy is to be fulfilled, nor the mere possibility that it could be fulfilled at any time, but the definite, imminent time of fulfillment which likely has already begun in the present. He rightly asserts that what this means is to say that things must soon take place is that whenever this was written, it is imminent to that moment when these words are written in fact, they're already likely taking place. And I think that's exactly right. That's the only way to understand these phrases, that things must soon take place. What Beale is referring to is what many of the futurists do in talking about, well, it's still yet to come. And what he means is that it's going whenever it does happen, it's going to happen quickly. It doesn't work with the meaning of these words. And that's what he's observing. It just doesn't work with the meaning of these words. In fact, what they typically will point out, many of the futurists, if you hold that chapters 4 through 22 have not even yet here at 2010, have even begun or have not taken place yet, they point out that the word soon can also mean suddenly. And so therefore what they say is, it's not that these things were going to soon take place to that audience, but they would just suddenly take place. And so he's not giving a time marker as to it's going to happen really soon in your lifetime, but that whenever it happens, it's just going to happen suddenly and be upon you real quick. There are a lot of problems with that. The first being, that doesn't solve verse 3 which says the time is near. Maybe you want to go that direction and say, okay, I grant it to you. Maybe that's what he meant to suddenly... But it doesn't change verse 3. The time is near. He says it twice. He tries to communicate the time factor about how soon these things are going to happen. In fact, a person, this scholar here, uh, Thomas in the Wycliffe Exegetical Commentary, he is a futurist. He does think chapters 4 through 22 have not been fulfilled, but he makes this point. A major thrust of Revelation is its emphasis upon the shortness of time before the fulfillment. In the midst of persecution, God's people do not have long to wait for relief to come. To say that relief will come suddenly offers no encouragement. But to say that it will come soon does. And that's one of the key themes of the book of Revelation is that you are reading about persecuted Christians who are asking how long will we have to endure? And the answer is soon. These things are going to be dealt with. If that means suddenly, that's no hope at all. That's not a bit of hope to Christians who are being persecuted and killed, who are being sacrificed for their faith in Jesus. And God's answer is, well, whenever this help does come, it'll happen real fast. Thanks. (laughs) That doesn't give me anything but to tell them just a little longer, the time is near, these things will happen soon. That would give encouragement, that would give hope to them that the events that are being described would unfold in a short amount of time. So the time markers are a problem for almost every position that I have read on the book of Revelation. The most popular is the futurist position that says chapters 4 through 22 have not yet been fulfilled. That's a big problem with those time markers. How can you say the time is near, that these things would shortly take place, that these things will happen soon, and then turn around and interpret the book of Revelation as these things have not happened yet? It doesn't work. One of the fun things that you see biblical scholars doing is trying to open the newspapers, see what's going on in the current events, and apply the book of Revelation to all the things that go on around us. And they'll say, see, God prophesied all these things are going on. The book of Revelation cannot work with those time markers. Revelation cannot be about Iraq, Iran, the invasion of Kuwait, Saddam Hussein, the fall of the Soviet Union, the power of of the communist China, the dissolving and falling apart of the Soviet Union, breaking down of Berlin Wall, anything like that. It can't be about those things because Jesus put a time marker that said, they're in the first century, whichever date, early date or late date, it would happen soon. And things that are happening today are certainly not soon. I assume in your mind 2,000 years isn't soon. If I were to tell you something's going to happen in the year 4,000, is that soon to you? Absolutely not. It can't be about that. The historical position which sees the Roman Catholic Church and other historical events, the rise of Islam, the rise of Napoleon, the world wars, things like that, many uh, take the position that the book of Revelation is describing these historical events that have happened over the past couple hundred years. Same problem. That's not soon. The Civil War was not soon to the first century. Napoleon was not soon to the first century rise of Islam, all those things, none of these things fit. It all has to fit into the the time is near must soon take place. I will also then step on quite a few toes with this one. It also damages the preterist position, those who would see only the fall of the Roman Empire, because that also was not soon. That also was not near. That was still 400 years yet to go. And now if I I were to come to you and say, something's going to happen soon, the time is near. And What I mean by that is in the year 2400, this is going to happen. Are you going to take that as soon? No. Soon, at the very least, means in my lifetime. At the very least, I'm going to see it. Otherwise, why are you telling me about it? In fact, that's what verse 3 even does for us. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. Blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it. Those who are receiving this letter, these seven churches of Asia, those words would not be true if the events described in the book of Revelation would happen 400 years, 1,000 years, or 2,000 years later. How would they be blessed? Blessed. It doesn't affect them in the slightest. The book should have just said, like it was told to Daniel, don't worry your head about it. It'll be out there in the future. God knows how to say that. He told Daniel that you just go on your way, <laughs> it'll be later on. God could have done that here. Now, all you alive in the first century, don't worry yourself about it. it. No, he doesn't do that. He says the time's near. And blessed if you read this, blessed if you hear, blessed if you keep the things that are found. In the book. And so I think that's a, an important picture that's given to us. And then I want us to realize, and I think one of the things that causes difficulty in terms of the book of Revelation is that what people want is the book of Revelation to be directly relevant to right here, right now. And I want to tell you that the book of Revelation is. It is directly relevant to us just as much as any of the other 65 books in the Bible are directly relevant to us. Nobody comes to the book of Romans and goes, you know what? The book of Romans was written to a bunch of Christians in the first century, and so why do we bother studying it? It was only for them anyway, and so let's throw Romans out the window because who really cares? Are you kidding? The book of Romans is a great book, and it teaches us. It has lessons for us and applications for us as to the greatness of God and how to live our lives. And I submit to you, Revelation does the exact same thing. Though written in the first century to the seven churches of Asia, that doesn't mean it doesn't have impact to us. It doesn't mean that there are not lessons for us. It does not mean that there's no meaning for us. We should not approach the book of Revelation and say, well, it's about things that would have to happen in their lifetime, and so who really cares? We just forget about it. Uh Uh-uh. We don't read the book of Isaiah and do the same thing. We don't read the book of Daniel and and say those words. And so we should understand revelation is very important. We should not skip it in our studies, and we should understand that there is much that we can learn about God, about how God is operating, about how He deals with the wicked, how the righteous continue to persevere and endure. I think that's one of the great messages that we will observe as we go through the book is how you handle suffering. How you stand for God in your faith in the face of all kinds of opposition. How do you go about doing That is one of the core messages of the book of Revelation. is How does one do that? How can we do this when it looks like there is wickedness and evil and awful things surrounding us and we are being persecuted and we are going through hard times? How can we endure and stay strong? The book of Revelation gives the answer. And so we'll spend our time as we go through Revelation observing those points. Two other quick things that we need to also observe. Our third interpretive grid that we need to consider is in the word signified there in verse 1. A very important statement when he says there, he made it known. A lot of the translations also say he signified it by and sent it to his angel, to his servant John. What... This begins to show us is that what is revealed in the book of Revelation is a book of images. This is a very unique book in that it's not just simply commands like we're going through the book of James on Sunday morning and okay, we need to not speak evil but love one another and we need to not have pride. It's not a book like that. It really is a picture book. And you see that like in verse 1, that He gave the revelation to do what? Not to tell His servants, to show His servants. These are pictures and images, and there is a story being tell, told, and we, very vivid in the things that are being described for us in all of these images. The ESV Study Bible points out that the terms revelation, show, made it known, and he saw, which we see in these three verses, all prepare the reader and the hearers for symbolic visions. It's not just simply he told and they heard. It is they saw, they've shown, revealed, made known. It is setting us up that these are pictures. In fact, Osborne in the Baker exegetical commentaries tells us that this word yields the idea of making known by means of symbols. And that's why I showed you, even in our English, that's what signified means. Signified. It is put into signs and symbols. It is being revealed to us as symbols and signs. Thomas in the Wycliffe Exegetical Commentary speaks of this word. He says, In non-biblical literature, it, this word for signified, already had a usage related to symbolic, divine communications with men. So this is a very important interpretive grid that we are laying upon this because this changes how we read the book of Revelation. Now, all of us understand general communication. When we talk with one another, we assume that we are speaking literally unless something in what we said demands otherwise. If I tell you to go jump in the lake, you know I'm not asking you to go get in a car, go find the nearest lake, and jump in. You know, I am saying something like that's unbelievable. How can you say something like that? Get out of here! You know, we're not. Don't mean. Oh, please leave the room. We're using it in an idiomatic way, and we understand that with language that we know that there is a symbolism behind it. You turn on the news every night, and I love the correspondents will always say, "The White House said today." Does anybody think the building is talking? (laughs) No. We all understand that this is symbolic, that what that means is the president and the corresponding authority figures are putting out this message. We take things literally unless something in the language demands otherwise, and we go, oh, I know the building's not talking today. What that means is this. And so we do that with the Bible as well. We understand that we take it literally unless something demands otherwise. When Jesus spoke of Herod and said, you go tell that fox, Jesus was not telling us that the king of Judea was actually a fox. It was no symbolic, idiomatic saying, that stinker, you go tell that joker, here's what I said. We understand that when we read that, we take it literally unless something tells us otherwise. And what I want us to observe, this first verse, is the something that tells us otherwise. The book was put into signs and symbols. Very, very important. He signified it to his angel. God gave this to Jesus. Jesus gives it to the angel. The angel puts it into symbols and gives it to John to reveal to his servants The things that must soon take place. When we read Revelation, we now flip the hermeneutic, the method of interpretation. In that everything we read, we must assume to be in symbols unless something in the text tells us otherwise. We usually say everything is literal unless the text tells us otherwise. But we're told right here, this is a book of symbols. He showed it to him. He saw these visions. And later on, we'll see that John is in the spirit. He's in visionary state. This is a vision. These are signs and symbols. Therefore, understand the images as signs and symbols. So when we read, it is not about, okay, so when are the scorpions coming? Or when are the locusts coming? Or all the various things? Or even the numbers that are in there? 10666. These are all symbols and not literal pictures. Symbolic. But let me state something very important with that. Just because it's full of symbols does not mean there is not a literal or a historical fulfillment. Typically the charge against this kind of understanding is to say, well, I mean, you are taken it all symbolically so it all just means nothing. No, 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 no. Revelation has a literal historical meaning. But you don't read the book saying because the dragon swept the stars out of the sky that that means I'm watching for a dragon to knock the stars out of the sky. That represents Something that means something. Not to look for the dragon, but what does the dragon represent? And what does taking stars out of the sky represent? There is a literal meaning, but it's not in the image itself. It is telling you something. One of the best examples that I can give you is if you are driving down the road and there is a red sign that has eight sides with the letters S-T-O-P. What does that tell you? You're not to be mesmerized by the wow. That's red and white, and look at that. That's that's amazing. eight sides. Now, what the eight sides must mean something. Quite no, it's telling you to stop your car. There is a literal meaning behind the symbol. The symbol's not the important thing. Is what the meaning of the symbol is. That's the book of Revelation. We must read the book seeking the meaning behind the image and not get caught up in all of the images. And that's what all the TV shows that will go on about Revelation is this and that and stars are falling the moon is turning to blood and the sun won't shine anymore and the locusts are going to get... You're, you're not finding the meaning of the image. You're missing the point of Revelation. When you don't stop and look for the meaning behind the symbol. The images represent something. It's not that this is mythical stories. This is not made up information. There is meaning behind the symbols. And our goal is to figure out what do those images mean. What is being told to us when that image appears? When we see, like in Revelation 12, that there is a woman who is giving birth to a child, what does that mean? When there is a woman riding on a beast, what does that mean? When there is a beast that rises up out of the waters and it stands and takes its place, what does that mean? When there is an angel who swears by his right hand that it will no longer be delayed, but that these things are going to be fulfilled, what does that mean? What are these images saying? standing for. That is what our goal is when we go through the book of Revelation. Final very quick point is that there in verse 3 we are told that this is prophecy. While the book of Revelation is a letter to the seven churches of Asia We must also understand that this is a book of prophecy. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of the prophecy. And So this book is going to reveal to us things that happen soon, but it also is in prophetic language. It is the inspired messages of God, the very voice of God, given directly to His servants through Christ, through His angel. And so this is God's Word. But it's going to be written in such a way that it is prophetic. It is looking forward to things that will soon take place. It is not a historical narrative about things that are currently going on within the Roman Empire. It is describing things that are going to happen to those Christians that affect their lives very, very soon because the time is near. And so that's what we need to do is that we need to understand that the book is going to describe events that would happen within their lifetime. What did those things mean to them? And when we appropriately determine what it meant to them, then we can understand what it's going to mean for us and how we need to live our lives. The first three verses are so important. And they lay a number of interpretive grids upon this book as to how we should understand the book. Using those interpretive grids, I believe, will help make this book much easier. Looking back at the prophecies of the Old Testament, understanding the time is near, understanding it is a revealing. These things all put together will help us understand and appropriate apply the book of Revelation. Point your psalm books out.